I'm going to be uh, reading from the Gospel of St. Matthew. We would ask those who are uh, able, if you would uh, please rise for this reading. I'm going to read the thir- from the 13th chapter, verses 31 to 33 and 44 and 45. Another parable he put before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like heaven, like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of God for the people of God. A couple of Sundays ago, Pastor Mike uh, began this series of talking uh, about Jesus' parables. And I want to continue that uh, tradition. We're still in the 13th chapter, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, a couple of these as we move along this morning. I want to begin, though, by uh, uh, sharing a little something with you from uh, way back when, when I was in, in seminary. Uh, Dr. Harry DeWire was uh, one of my favorite faculty members at, at United Theological Seminary. He was also my advisor, and... Uh, he was a psychotherapist on campus. Now, I'm not entirely sure why they matched me with the psychotherapist, but that's what it was, and you know, we'll deal with it. But I'm going to be talking a little bit. The parables talk about the kingdom of God. And uh, one day, Harry DeWire, who often started his classes with a joke or a story, um, some of his stories were not nearly as fun as he thought they were, but we listened patiently and uh, always smiled, make him happy. But one day he, he told us, a group of seminary students, he said, you know, the kingdom of God is like the person who got, gets the Reader's Digest one month ahead of everybody else. That was kind of his notion of what heaven might be like. That way he could tell all those stories and nobody would have heard them yet. Well, this one's for Harry. I got my Reader's Digest the August version a couple of weeks ago, and any of you else here, I didn't get ahead of it. My subscription comes when everybody else's, but I, I did pick this one up. And uh, I'm going to ask you a little question. Have you heard about the claustrophobic astronaut? The claustrophobic astronaut. Yeah, yeah all he really needs is a little space. <laughs> Where's the drummer when I need him? Yeah. <laughs> all right. I said it was corny, so... But I do want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, about the kingdom of God and uh, the notion of the parables and Jesus speaking about God is like this, God is like that, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like this or like that is because it's too great for our, our minds to understand. So he did this thing that is, uh, you know, most prevalent. He took stories, he took people, he took events, he took everyday activities and used those to describe a, a little bit, some little tiny slice, some little piece of what it is to know God, what it is about God's character and uh, what God expects of us and what God's kingdom might be like. There's an old story uh, that Thomas Wheeler told about himself. Now, Thomas Wheeler uh, was at one time the CEO, you know, the very head of the Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company known as Mass Mutual today. 
And uh, he and his wife were driving along uh, an interstate highway when he noticed that their car was running low on gas. So they pulled off, uh, you know, at the very next exit, and uh, the only gas station at that at that exit was kind of a little old run-down place, and had just one gas pump. It was an old-style, old-fashioned sort of stop. He asked the lone attendant to fill the tank and check the oil. Now, that's how you know it's an old story, you know. When did any time lately anybody offer to check the oil in your car? But anyway, uh, as the attendant is filling the tank of the gas, uh, uh, Tom Wheeler walks around a little bit to stretch his legs. As he was returning to the car, he noticed that the attendant and his wife were engaged in a rather animated conversation. The conversation stopped as he paid the attendant. But as he was getting back into the car, uh, he saw the attendant wave and he heard the attendant say to his wife, you know, it's been good to talk to you again. So as they're driving away from the gas station, Wheeler turns to his wife and said, do you know that man? She readily admitted that she did. They had gone to high school together, and in fact, they had, it, they had dated rather steadily for almost a year. As they drove out of the station, uh, you know, as, as they continued the conversation, he said to his wife, well, you know, boy, luckily for you, I came along, he bragged, because if you had married him, today you'd be the wife of a gas station and attendant instead of the wife of a chief executive officer. My dear, replied his wife, if I had married him, he'd be the chief executive officer and you'd be the gas station attendant. I would say to you there was a woman who was confident in herself and had a tremendously uh, good response. Uh, you know, we might even say priceless. You know, what else would be priceless? If, uh, you know, a lot of times in... My experience, and I suspect many of you here, uh, you know, we say to ourselves, particularly as we get older, we say, you know, I wish I knew then what I know now. You ever had that? I wish I knew then what I know now. Happens to me very regularly. And of course, the older I get, the more often it happens. But uh, a number of years ago, uh, roughly 10 years ago, my brother Chet, who lives up in uh, Mansfield, the east of Mansfield, just along Interstate 6, about a mile or so, uh, away from uh, the Mansfield University athletic fields, football fields. Got a nice little property, owns about 80 acres there, and it's on the side of a hill, and it's mostly woods, but he has a, some meadow land and some apple trees, and a, he carved out a nice spot for a house, and it's, you know, it's very nice. But 10 years ago, Chet said to me, you know, Dave, uh, my neighbor wants to sell me another chunk of ground here. It's about five acres, a little bit of meadow. It's kind of overgrown with, you know, brush and weeds. And, uh, and but most of it's uh, woodland on the side of the hill right alongside my property. He said, really be great. You buy that ground and, you know, we'll be neighbors. And someday you can build a house there or, or a, a little retreat or whatever you might, might like to have there. It said, you know, it's really beautiful up here in this part of the country. And someday you'll retire and uh, you can come up and visit more often. I said, Chet, you know, I'm not, first off, I can't afford it. And, uh, you know, it was modestly priced. It wasn't overpriced, but, you know, far, land is land. And uh, I said, I, I can't afford it, Chet. And, uh, you know, what do I need with that, with that ground? I'm never going to build a house there. You have a five-bedroom home. If I want to come up here, I'll stay with you. Well, he said, it's, it's your call. He pestered me for several months. And, I, you know, he finally got understood that I was not going to buy that ground. Well, about two years after that, I got an I told you so from my brother. 
Now, I told you he lives in outside of Mansfield, north country. People from the gas companies started coming knocking on doors, and they were buying leases. And the lease that they were offering per acre was almost as much then as the ground would have cost me had I bought it at the you know at that time. But once word got out and people knew that there was gas under that property, the value of that land shot up dramatically. And not only do you sign a lease, but once they start drilling and removing the gas from that, you get royalties, typically for about 20 years. And uh, looking back, you know, might have been good if I had uh, sold something else <laughs> and bought that ground. It would have been a good investment. Only if I only had known. Well, Jesus tells a parable about a man who discovered a treasure in a field. He apparently was the only one knew that there was treasure in that field. And so he did the prudent thing. He went and, and, uh, and bought it. He sold what he had in order to, to purchase that field because he knew there was something more valuable there than that which he was going to pay uh, for that field. There are a lot of things in this world that you can put a price tag on. We actually can put a price uh, you know, on the, on the expected amount of gas uh, that's going to be produced from the wells that are going to be in that property up where my brother lives and and so on, and all, the, and all the neighbors. Gas company has a pretty good idea what that's going to generate and how much it's going to be. But you know, there are a lot of things in life, and I would suggest to you the more important things in life that we cannot attach a price tag to, that we can, you know, that really are, in fact, priceless. How much would you take for your health? You know, most of us here are probably feeling pretty good today. But I can tell you that when you're laying in a bed, and you're not feeling at all well, and maybe you have something seriously wrong, whether it's you, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, we would do almost anything we can do, would we not? Give up almost anything we own in order to make that person be well and happy and whole again. Is there a price that we can attach to that? I don't think so. There are lots of other wonderful things in, in our human experience that are priceless. Standing, uh, you know, uh, along the beach and watching the sun go down or come up, particularly if you're holding hands with your significant other. What kind of price tag do you put on that? The kingdom of God is like that, you see. It, it, it's these experiences, it's these feelings, it's these notions that go beyond our capacity to describe. And so we tell stories. And we try to relate in some, in some small way to that. Do you remember... You know, that first kiss from that person who became your spouse? Do you remember how you felt at that moment? Or the first time that person said to you, I love you, or you said it to them? Do you remember that? Those of you who are old enough? What a feeling. Were you present when your child was born? Or do you remember when the, when the doctor brought that baby out and placed it in your arms for the very first time? It's a feeling that until and unless you've experienced, you cannot describe it. But that begins to get just a tiny little bit closer to the sense of what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he went and sold all that he had and he bought that field. The kingdom of heaven, he added, is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. Now notice this, this man was a jeweler. No doubt of it. He was a pearl collector. And just picture a man with a whole big bag, all of his pearls in a bag. And he's going to get rid of all of them because there is this one pearl that is greater than all the rest. It is priceless. 
He'll give everything he has in order to possess that pearl. I would again suggest to you that no matter how much you may own, no matter how glamorous your life may be, no matter how high your IQ is, if you have missed out on the kingdom of God, on the kingdom of heaven, you've missed out on the one thing in life whose value exceeds all these others. And if that is true, don't you think that you and I should know about that kingdom? And furthermore, don't you think that this should be our foremost vocation to appropriate to gather in that kingdom for ourselves. What can we say this morning about the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it's all interchangeable. What is this kingdom that Christ spent most of his ministry proclaiming? Well, I would say again that one of the most important things for us to notice is that the kingdom has already arrived. The beginning of it, at least. Clearly not in its fullness. But ever since Christ came and walked the face of this earth, he fulfilled that which was proclaimed to us earlier that we should expect by Jeremiah. But it's already here. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, said Jesus. Nor will they say, look, here it is. Or behold, there it is. The kingdom of God is already in the midst of you, we read in the 17th chapter of Luke. You see, the primary defect in too many Christian disciples is that we come to Christ and make a commitment, and then we put our spiritual development on hold, waiting until that day when we enter the pearly gates in that world to come. But why wait? Why wait? Life is so much better, so much better when we enter into that kingdom now, even that little portion of it that we can claim. My friends, wherever God is, there is heaven. It's not a distant dream, but a present reality. The kingdom of God is the kingly rule of God in the hearts of believers. I'll say it again. The kingdom of God is the kingly rule of God in the hearts of believers. I really cannot understand why there are so many Christians who walk around with a sour expression on their faces. I can't understand why there are so many people who profess to be Christians and yet really find a whole lot more to complain about than to give praise about. Just observe. Listen, observe, and watch. But we're not going to be like that, you and me. We're going to claim our portion of the kingdom that God already has presented to us, and we're going to live it as if it is real, because clearly it is. It is a present reality. The kingdom is also a precious relationship. Jeremiah foretold the coming of this kingdom hundreds of years before Jesus arrived. He wrote, And no longer shall each man teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. The claim that we can know the God of all creation, the notion that we can have direct access to him, the teaching that Jesus gave us that God is like a loving father to each of his children, that's a statement of faith beyond our feeble mind's ability to comprehend. But that does not make it untrue. Some times ago, there was a, an old story. The only stories I know are old stories. I'm an old guy. A little boy riding in a, on a bus across town in a big city. 
He was huddled close to a rather nicely dressed lady, and he was swinging his legs around, and uh, he was sitting on the aisle side, and on the other side uh, the aisle was a, a, a lady, and, and uh, as he was kicking some dirt from his shoes got on this lady's dress, and she kind of angrily protested to the lady that was sitting on the other side of the boy. And she said, pardon me, but would you make your little boy remove his dirty feet from the seat? And the well-dressed lady took a hard look at the youngster as if she had not been really paying any attention to him at all and kind of gave him the elbow and a little shove and said, he's not my boy. I never saw him before. Well, the little boy was embarrassed and he tried to slink down in the seat so as if not to be seen. It was obvious that he was fighting back tears, and he apologized. He said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Well, the lady was no longer angry, and she felt badly that she had responded the way she had. Oh, that's all right, she said. Are you going somewhere alone? He lowered his head and answered, yes, I, I always travel alone. My mommy and daddy are both dead, so I live with my Aunt Maggie. But when she gets tired of me, she sends me to Aunt Elizabeth. So the lady asked sympathetically, are you on your way to Aunt Elizabeth's now? Yes. But Aunt Elizabeth is hardly ever home. I I hope she's home today because it's sure cold outside. Said the lady, "You you sure are awfully young to be riding the bus alone. Oh, it's okay, said the boy. I I never get lost, but sometimes I do get awfully lonely. So when I see someone I'd like to belong to, I sit real close to them. And I pretend they're my family. That's what I was doing when I got your dress dirty. I forgot about my feet. The lady moved over to the little boy and put her arms around him because she realized he just wanted badly to belong to somebody. To belong to somebody. Do you belong to somebody? Is there somebody that you will say to them today, I love you, or somebody who will say that to you, I sure hope so. And if not, then it's time for you to work at that a little bit. The most important and most wonderful gift in this world is to care about somebody else and to know that there's somebody else that cares about you. That relationship to God is where it begins. What do we say about God? God is love. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. Get that relationship with God. God loves you. Know that first. And then go out into the world to love others. And what is the greatest gift we can give to someone when we're in a relationship? It's a gift of time. The gift of time. Remember Jesus, how busy he was traveling here, there, teaching, preaching, walking, doing all that stuff. But when he was in a crowd of people and a lady came up and touched his garment, what did he do? He didn't hustle on off. He stopped. He gave her his time. He gave the woman at the well his time. He gave little children his time. He gave women his time. The most important gift that we can give to those that we treasure and that we love is the gift of ourselves, the gift of our time. When we do that, we have entered into, however dimly, the kingdom of God. And that kingdom is ours to claim. It's a gift. Take it. Go with it. Live with it. Amen.